Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. It will play in just a minute. But before it does, I want to encourage you to take a second and subscribe to our podcast. If you do, you'll be notified whenever there is a new sermon uploaded, something that happens once a week. And we have some new audio content in the works. If you subscribe, you will be the first to know about it. So I really hope that you'll do that. Along those same lines, we could really use a favor. We would appreciate it so much if you would consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'll do that, it will help our sermons be heard by more people. And as I've said before, we think that's really important. Something I haven't told you before is that one of the reasons we think that is important is because my life was greatly impacted by listening to a recorded sermon. When I was four years old, my great-grandmother and I listened to a tape of our pastor's sermon. He gave the gospel message, the story of Jesus dying and rising again so that we might be saved, and I decided to become a Christian. We want moments like that for more and more people. That's part of the reason we put these sermons online. And if you leave us a rating or review, it will help people who need to hear about Jesus hear about Jesus. And so we'd appreciate it greatly if you would do that. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, today we begin a new sermon series on pride, and this sermon series is connected to a longer sermon series, an annual kind of mega sermon series that I've done now. I think this is the sixth year, and it all started about six years ago when I was a new pastor, and for whatever reason, uh, because I have bigger problems maybe than this, but, uh, but God started to work on me. And, and this is what he was telling me. It's going to shock you. He was saying, you have a gluttony problem. And, and it's weird because we associate gluttony with bigger than me, right? I mean, that's kind of how we picture gluttony. And so I begin to study the topic of gluttony. And I just realized, and, and this is what we ended up making the title of the series, that I was just a skinny glutton. And so we had this, this series called The Skinny Glutton. I was like, well, gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins, this list of sins that, that is not inherently biblical, uh, but was listed by some guy, you know, as the church kind of developed and it became this traditional, there's these seven sins that are worse than these other sins. And, and I started to examine them and I started to see, man, these are, these are really important things for us to overcome. And so I said, we should do another one. And, and we did the second one. It was called The Busy Sluggard because I realized that while I'm, I'm always busy and most of our, our, our country at least is always obsessed with their own busyness, uh, a lot of us aren't doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. And that's, a, that's a, a line that came out of that series from my mouth. And it's been driving in a large part everything that we do at this church ever since then. We try to do the right thing at the right time in the right way without taking any shortcuts. And so then after that, I was like, well, now I'm too in. And so we might as well keep going down this line because you have to think of things to preach every year. And so we just kept going with the seven deadly sins. And we did a series called Broken Greedy. We did a series called Rich and Envious. And we did a series called Quiet Wrath. And, and you can see how we tried to play off of these 
apparent contradictions, these things that seem like opposites, quiet wrath and skinny glutton. Because what we've seen in all of these series, and maybe you remember, maybe you don't, is that, that sometimes we can have these sins manifest in us in ways that, that maybe we don't think of. Like some of the most angry people are not the people who yell, and some of the most greedy people in the world are are poor people, and, and so we've seen that, that kind of the, the symptoms of these sins are not necessarily what we think they're supposed to be. It's not like just the rich deal with greed, or just the fat deal with gluttony. Uh, these sins are, are most of the time something that, that is taking place with, within us uh, that manifest themselves in a lot of different ways ways and and so today we move into this series and and i'm i'm excited about it because uh, it is it is on pride and and what we're going to see in this series is that pride acts similarly we think of pride as being something that cool people deal with or good looking people or rich people or famous people uh there's going to be this funny line in about two weeks that that somebody will inevitably say they'll win the super bowl somebody will look at them and say how do you feel about this they'll give some uh some lip service to god and then they'll say i'm just totally humbled and i'll think no you're not you're totally prideful right now right because that's not human if i won a super bowl i wouldn't be feeling humble i can just maybe they are but 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 we, we will hear that line and it will picture, well, that's the guy that's going to be arrogant or prideful who just won the Super Bowl. But I think what we'll see in this series is that you can be, and I know this is harshly titled, but it was, it was intentional, you can be the biggest loser in the world and still be an incredibly prideful person. Because pride is not something that comes or goes as we become more or less successful. Pride is something that really is a heart issue, and it's a heart issue, as we'll find out this morning, that is connected to the quality of our relationship with God. And here's what's really cool about pride, or not so cool about pride, if you really think about it, and that is all of the other seven deadly sins that we've seen and lust, which we'll deal with next year in some capacity. The reason that I have put it off is because I'm not sure that we'll do it on Sunday morning. We may do it in some other setting. Uh, I'm going to cover it in some ways, but we do encourage parents to keep kids in their service. And so uh, it gets a little uncomfortable, you know. Mommy, Daddy, Chad said this. What does it mean? You know, we don't want that question coming to you. Uh, and so we're figuring out how to deal with that. But but pride, this is what we're going to see, is is really the foundation for all of these other sins that we deal with, including, and maybe most specifically, these sins that we've labeled uh, the seven deadly sins or the six other deadly sins. And so let me, let me just begin. This is kind of how I begin every uh, sermon series on these seven deadly sins. We're trying to lay just a quick foundation. Usually I devote a whole sermon to laying a foundation about what kind of the overarching theme of that sin is in the Bible, what the Old Testament says about it primarily. Uh, but I wanted to do a vision sermon, and so I cut this series by one a week. And so let me quickly just lay a foundation for what pride is so that we we are, are talking about the same thing when we when we are talking about pride together. And, and, and here's the deal. In the Old Testament, there are at least, at least six words 
that can be translated into our English word pride. And here's what's so fascinating about them all. Every single one of those six words in some way is connected to the idea of, of being lifted up or to being, to being high, not in the Oregon marijuana sense, but like to raise ourselves up, to make ourselves more important. In certain passages in the Old Testament, we see that this, this idea of making ourselves more important is foundational for all of the sins of the Israelites. In Isaiah 2, 6 through 22, there's a long passage there, and I'm not going to read that for you, but, but you see that like pride is foundational for all of the problems that the Israelites had. In Zephaniah 3, 11 through 13, this is summarized in some way. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. Look, God says to these people, you have a problem. You're sinning. You're not doing what I want you to do. You're disobedience. Let me summarize what I need to remove from the land, and that is your arrogance or your pride. That is you lifting yourselves up and making yourself higher than you ought to make yourself. You see, in this idea, we, we can just begin to see why pride is not something just for the rich and famous and the ones who are cool and have it all put together. It's for all of us, whether we look at ourselves and say, I'm such a loser, or we look at ourselves and say, I'm always a winner. Uh, pride is an issue because pride is not thinking, as C.S. Lewis said it, uh, it's not thinking highly of ourselves. It's really just thinking too much about ourselves. It's making us important, whether we're important in how we feel bad about ourselves or how we feel good about ourselves. It's raising ourselves up and saying, I'm important. And what we're gonna see in the passage we'll look at today in 1 John is it's really raising ourselves up and saying, I want to be more God-like. Now, I know that's a stretch at this point, but we'll come back to that. I wanna be more like God. In Psalms, Proverbs, and Job, uh, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, pride is this sin that is used as like a, a, just a description of evil people in general. Like David says, I'm fleeing from my enemies, those who are arrogant and boastful and prideful. It's like almost synonymous with, with evil. It's like pride, evil, they're just... They're just meshed together where you hardly can tell a difference in the Old Testament because, it seems, pride is so foundational for the sins that are committed. In the New Testament, the word translated pride is usually connected to boasting. And the New Testament does this interesting thing with the topic of pride. It, it makes it negative in every way except one way and it, it gives a positive way that you can be prideful and that is in the things of God the things that are connected to the worship of God the kingdom of God the ministry of God the evangelism uh, of sharing God's word with other people in those things the Bible the New Testament seems to say we should take pride but in everything else we ought to consider it in the words of Paul loss we ought to consider it trash. But we know that we don't do that. In fact, if we thought about the things that we take pride in, most of them would not be connected to God in any way. It would be things that Paul declares we should count as lost or count as trash. Our looks and our 
our cars and our houses and our money and our success, all these things are things that we take pride in, that we boast about. Think about if you needed to tell somebody something about yourself, where you would start and you'll begin to find what you take pride in. If it's God and you say, here's the first thing you need to know about me, I just love Jesus and I'm so thankful for what he's done for me, uh, then then you, good job, you can leave. You know, everybody on this side already, you're, you're free to go home. <laughs> but you people on this side who have a speaker that's working, you need to understand that it's probably like your job, right? Or we just moved here. Or look, I love this sport. And in these things, you start to see the places where you are raising yourself up and moving yourself towards, towards being more like God. There's a bunch of definitions that I stumbled upon when uh, studying for this, this series, and uh, some of them are pretty good. And, and I did see in, in one statement that like glory is something we talk about a lot, glory, and I often say this, like it's really hard to define, it's really easy to see. Pride is similar. It's really hard to define, but it's pretty easy to see. Anybody that's looking at themselves, whether they're looking at themselves and saying, I'm awesome, or they're looking at themselves and saying, I'm terrible. Anybody that's looking at themselves and thinking about themselves and focusing on themselves probably has a pride problem. But here's some definitions that, uh, that, are, that are pretty helpful. An insolent and empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources and shamefully despises and violates divine laws and human laws. That's a little wordy. But this guy named Rudolf Schenkenberg, who's a a commentary writer, he he said this, and I think this one's really helpful. Pride is a pervasive attitude of mind making us forget our dependence on God and leading to self-glorification. Now, that's a good definition because you can see that in both people who are really successful and people who who, who think of themselves anyway as, as terribly unsuccessful. You're like, well, look what I've done. I don't need God anymore. Look how much I've accomplished. And then there's people on the other side like, man, I'm so bad. I'll never have the things I need because because it's all about me and I can't live up to the standard I need to live up to. I like what Rudolph had to say. Pride attempts to dethrone the sovereign one of the universe. That's what John MacArthur said. Pride leads to self-satisfaction and cuts us off from God. Pride is glorifying the creature over the creator. And the life application commentary says an overconfidence that makes us lose any notion that we are dependent on God. And so whether you look inside yourself and you say, I have nothing good and I'll never be great and I'll never, because you don't think that you're good enough. Or you look inside yourself and say, I'll always be great and I'll always succeed and I'll always be awesome. In both of those things, you see that you are making it about you and you're making it about your ability to accomplish and you're making it about your ability to be liked and to be successful and to be honored and to have freedom. You're making it about you. I think that one of the great examples is the worst Disney princess of all time. Her name is Elsa. Very overrated. I'm not sure why kids are drawn to her at all. I'm not sure why I've listened to the soundtrack 257 times now, uh, but I have, and kids are, and, and, it, and she's just such a prideful, arrogant woman. I mean, think about her. She has this special power to make things freeze, 
but her family sees it as a problem. I'm sure she sits on the couch with her, with her psychologist and blames her parents for not handling this issue in her life correctly. But Elsa has this, this problem. And then there's this song called Let It Go and she walks off into the woods and says, this is all about me and I'll be alone and whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and it's, a, it's a good song. I play it for Hazel to pump her up for her soccer lessons. Um, let's go, you know. Um, she won't do Jukebox Hero, which would have been my choice, but, but she will do that one. But then there's this, this second version where, where these two songs are, are put together. There's probably a name, a medley. Uh, and it's, it's this song at the beginning for the first time in forever and this other song song let it go and and somebody at Disney did a great job of putting these together but the things Elsa sings in this song just point to her incredible pride it's a pride that says I'm not good enough at handling this or whatever but she's looking at her sister and her sister's like we're willing to help you you can come down this mountain and we can do this together I think that's a quote and we can handle this and Elsa's like you go back home you enjoy yourself but I'm gonna stay up here because I'm alone but I'm alone and free and that's us isn't it like, I want to be my own God. I don't want to answer to anybody or think about the things that, I, that are affecting others. I want to be sovereign to myself. And, and yeah, it's a problem that I have. Or yeah, I'm awesome. She could have seen it that way too. Look what I can do. But I'm going to go up on this mountain. I'm going to raise myself up. And I'm going to make it about me and not the people who might need me. Elsa's the absolute worst, but I can see so much of myself in her, whether it's the things I do well or the things I do poorly, I say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And here's why it's a huge problem. Because in 1 John chapter two, we see that when this is our mentality, when it is about us, when we are struggling with pride, then it's gonna stand in the way of us having the relationship with God that we want to have. And then this is how it begins in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, it's a big question, like, First of all, what is the world and why aren't we to love it? And, and here's what I don't like about John, Johannine literature in the Bible. Uh, John doesn't think a lot like me. I'm pretty linear. I'm pretty uh, westernized in how my brain works. I want things just to kind of go in a straight line. You tell me what you really mean. John is just this wonderful artist who just kind of says something over here and then a little while later when he gets around to it, he says something over here and, and he doesn't tell the story of Jesus in a chronological order which bothers people. He tells it based on themes and they're themes like Jesus is the good shepherd. Like John, what does that mean? Does he take care of me? Is he helping me? You know, let's get to the point. But John in that artsy kind of brain, which is weird for a, a guy that was a fisherman, right? But John, in that artsy kind of thinking, he's just free to you, in his mind anyway, and apparently in God's mind, because the Holy Spirit directed uh, the writing of this book, he's, he's free to use these words in all kinds of different ways. He uses words in like seven different ways. It means seven different things, and he's okay with that. When I get to heaven and I talk to him, I'm like, dude, like, come on, get a vocabulary, you know? Uh, but one of those words is world. And John uses the word world in, in three very distinct ways throughout his writings in the New Testament. The book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. John wrote all of those. 
The first way that he uses the world is the way that we usually use it, and that is like creation, right? Like the earth, the thing we celebrate on Earth Day, uh, this big globe that's circular, you know, unless you're, you think it's flat, then you're weird. But, you know, it's a circular thing that we can look at in space and that thing, right? And he uses it in, in that way oftentimes. And, and the second way that he uses the word world is, is about people in general, just people. He uses the word world for you and me and everybody that exists. But this can't be what he has in mind because... These are things that we should love in some ways. In First John, or excuse me, in John eleven twenty seven, it says, "I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world." That's pretty simple. We know that God created the world. In John one one, Jesus is accredited as being the creator of all that we see, like the world. And so, it's not that we should hate that, right? And in John three sixteen, we see we read, "For God so loved the world." Obviously, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about people that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Obviously, we're not supposed to hate people and we should love people, in fact, right? So what does John mean by the world? And what he seems to mean is a system that exists that is adamantly opposed to God. It's anti-God. And I think this is really quite easy to see the world is not God's creation I like this as a quote the world is not God's creation but its character since the fall since sin entered into the world and the character of the world even the people and the earth is that it it all seems to be tearing at the things of God John MacArthur said about this topic it's the full spectrum of beliefs and inclinations that oppose the things of God I mean, just think about the things that you consume on a daily basis, right? Like, whether you mean to or not, the billboards you drive by, the music that you hear, the movies that you take in, the new shows on Netflix. It's pretty clear that there's a system that exists in this world that seems anti-God. I would guess that most of the shows you watch, most of the music you listen to, unless you turn to Christian radio then it's just hard to listen to on a different level. But if you are listening to regular people music and you are watching shows that normal people watch, then I don't think you ever come away going, whew, I really feel like my relationship with God got a lot better today, right? You don't go to work and live in the economy that we live in and go, man, this is really, I mean, everything that we do, you know, to make money is really pushing me forward in my relationship with God. You know, I mean, man, there's just, I mean, it just drives me to never take a shortcut and to never be dishonest and to never do it. I mean, this is, this is just obvious to us, right? There, there is, there is, there are things in place that without even trying, they tear at our relationship with God. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying like the music industry is, uh, is trying to be anti-Christian. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the, the movie people are, are in just trying, they're making an effort to tear at our relationship with God. I'm saying that since sin entered into the world, these things that exist naturally tend to pull us away from the things of God. It's quite clear, right? And so when John says in 1 John 2.16, do not love the world, he's saying don't love the system that pulls 
and tears at our relationship with God. The world attracts evil desires like a magnet, as one author says it. Don't love that system that attracts evil desires like a magnet. I'd give one more example before I finish talking about the world. Just think about the internet. The internet is not inherently bad or good. It is, it is just this thing, right, that connects people in some way that I don't understand. But just think about the internet that can be used for really good, right? It can be used for great things. I think our church is using it for great things. Most of what happens there tears at the things of God. Pornography sites are visited more than any other type of site far and away, just way, 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 way more. Get on Facebook and see how many great healing, redemptive conversations take place when people start to talk about deep things. It's like zero. People just start arguing and fighting. It tears at the things of God. And John says, don't love that. Don't love that. Because because if anyone does love the world, this is a big statement and you need to pay attention to it. The love of the Father, the love of God is, is not in those people. The Bible is quite clear, in fact, that, that Satan is the ruler of the world. You can see that in 1 John 5, 19. And, and, and we read that the world hated Jesus in John 15, 18. And it doesn't mean all people. It means this system that exists that is beyond what we can see. It's not just the people. It's something beyond them that Satan is fighting to maintain control of and to use in order that we may not experience and express the glory of God. He says, don't love that. You go, well, I don't, right? If you're a Christian, you're like, sweet, this is easy. Like, of course I'm not gonna love that evil system. It's evil and terrible. I hadn't even thought about it before, but I hate it, you know, with that description. And then John tells us what it looks like to love that evil system. And for me, it's just not that far away from who I am. And here's the description that he gives of the world. For everything in the world, everything that exists in this evil system that, 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 that just touches every area of life, everything in the world, and then he stops and he gives us three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, this is not everything in the world, obviously. I'm in the world. He's saying, look, the attitude, the, uh, the characteristics, the attributes of the system that is opposed to God and how it causes you to not love God, to not live for God, it can be summarized with three basic statements. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and, and we'll touch on this the most, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is often associated with sensual desires, but it doesn't have to be. It's anything that, that we long for because of our bodies, because, because we are creatures that are physical beings. It's these things that we long for uh, that can cause us to give in to sin. In the first sermon series I, I, of, of this long mega series, the one on being a glutton, the one on gluttony, I said that throughout, and this is interesting, I didn't come up with this, but throughout Israel's history, we see that they have a problem with food. 
They often are disobedient to God because they're not listening to him about the things of food. It starts in the Garden of Eden where she wants to take a bite of an apple that looks good to eat. And it continues right down to when the people are moaning and groaning in the wilderness saying, God, you must not really love us because all we have to eat is this sweet bread, which sounds super delicious to me. We don't have enough meat. And it continues throughout the entire Old Testament. The, the problem with Israel's history is in large part a problem with their flesh desiring certain things and then rejecting the things of God. And this system that exists that is opposed to God will play upon your desire to have things that make you feel good. And the lust of the eyes. Oftentimes people associate this with, with sins that are more money driven, like jealousy. Uh, and, and they would look at it and connect it to greed. It's this desire to have the things that you want. Not a desire that comes from the feelings that we have within us, but a desire that comes because we see things and we go, that looks nice. You see a house and you go, I want that one. You see a car and you say, I want that one. And the world, the system that is against God plays upon the desire, the lust of the flesh because we begin to do things that are anti-God, that are against the will of God, that are disobedient to God because we say, I want it. They have it. I want it. And then he switches. And, and you, can, you can notice this and there's, there's, uh, there's different opinions about why, but but he, he kind of flips how the language sounds. And you can notice that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And then he says kind of this other thing, the pride of life. And some people, and I, I think I'm one of them at this point, say, well, the language kind of switches because this is foundational to the other two. The pride of life, this is a word for boasting, again, like most of the New Testament words, but it's not just talking about how great you are. It's the things that we boast in. It's the things that cause us to raise ourselves up and say, I'm important, and I don't need God here because I can do whatever it is I want to do. And here's why I think that switch in language can be so important to us. Because the reality is, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, they won't necessarily lead to more sin unless pride fuels them to do more and more damage to our souls and our ability to glorify God. Because here's the question, you see something, you feel, I want that, I want that. I want that thing, I feel it, I want it. If we say, I'm the most important, then we will look at what God has called us to do or not called us to do and we'll say, well, God, that's great, but I'm the most important and I want it. And so I'm gonna get it even if it means being disobedient to you, breaking your rules and your laws, hurting my relationship with you. Same with the lust of the eyes. God, I see it and I want it. And I'm the most important. I'm the most valuable I am raising myself up, and so I won't listen to you. I'll do what I want in order to get the thing that I see. You see, here's what's so, so devastating about pride, is pride becomes this foundational piece for all of the sins that we are going to commit. Because as long as we're making ourselves the most important, what God says and what God wants and our relationship with God and our dependence on God, they don't matter anymore when I'm the center of my universe. And so he says, look, here's what, 
characterizes the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And by the way, here's a key one. The pride of life. And we are so prideful in our lives, are we not? One author said it this way, the overconfidence of those begotten of the flesh who feel no need to be begotten from above. I think that a word that would fill in nicely right there that connects pretty deeply is ambition. Like, What are you really ambitious about that's not connected to God? And there you see how your pride is starting to come out. Now here's just fascinating. People have seen this throughout the years. But these three things pretty easily connect to some of the major stories of temptation that we see in the Bible. For example, if you were to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, before we existed, not the beginning, but the beginning, before the beginning of, of our existence, the creation of earth, there's this traditional story about Satan. And in this traditional story about Satan, one that has just a small biblical reference, but it's traditional, Satan looks at God and says, I want to be more like you. I want power. And so he is rejected by God because he rejects God. It's a story of Satan's pride. And it's a story that has been continued throughout history where Satan wants worship and power. He wants the honor and the glory that is due to God. He's made himself the center of the universe. And so he tears at the fabric God's glory. But you see it in the, in the story of the fall of man, the very beginning of our created history. You see that Adam and Eve are there in the garden and Satan shows up and his attitude is one of pride, right? Look, I'm the center of my universe. And he says to them, hey, God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows that if you eat it, you'll become more like him. And what do they do? Oh, wow. That elevates me. Give me a bite. Give me a bite. You also see in that story, interestingly enough, the, the lust of the flesh and the uh, lust of the eyes. She sees that it's good for, for food. As I said earlier, she wants it. She sees that it's pleasing to the eyes and, and then she just wants to be more like God and she takes a bite and gives it to Adam and says, hey, we can be more like God. We can become more important. We can make God less important. Take a bite. And then you see it again in, in the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, you see that, that Satan preys upon uh, what would be the lust of the flesh in Jesus and the lust of the eyes. And then it culminates in the story where, where, where Satan takes Jesus up to the highest mountain in the, in the area near Jerusalem. And he has Jesus look out and he says, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. He preys upon the idea of pride, but what he doesn't realize is that Jesus throughout his entire life has humbled himself, something we'll come back to in this series, and he's made only the Father in heaven important. But Satan preys upon something that would work for us, right? Something that our pride, our self-importance would just long for. Oh, you'll give me all the kingdoms? I can be the ruler of my own universe? Okay. But Jesus doesn't. You see, pride is foundational to all of our sin. And so Satan will prey upon your pride. 
You go, wow, I'm awesome, so I'll do whatever I want. Or man, God has not made me very good, and so I'm not going to do what he wants. But it's all about raising yourself up. It's about you elevating yourself. It's about you boasting, even though you wouldn't call it that when you're feeling like a loser. You would call it something different. But it is boasting in how important you are because when our eyes are not on us, then, we, then we're not sitting around thinking about how bad we are. We're sitting around thinking about how great God is. And, and when we are, are winning and life feels good, If we're sitting around thinking about how awesome we are, we are not thinking about God, we are thinking about ourselves. But when we think about God, we think about how awesome He is and not us. And and, and it's just so interesting because, because we say, well, pride's not that big a deal. But what John is saying is, here's what you need to understand. The more prideful you are, the less you love God. I wrote it down this way. The more we love God, the less prideful we will become. The more prideful we become, the less we will love God. Do you see what John is saying here? He's saying, the more you think about yourself, the more you raise yourself up in importance, the less capability you have to love God. That makes it the biggest deal. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the Apostle Paul says, love is not self-seeking or boastful. Love is not about you. And that applies to human relationships and that applies to your relationship with God. Here's what's interesting about the book of 1 John. 1 John is written to say, hey, here, here, you people that he's writing to, I want you, I I believe you're God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christians who are following Jesus. I believe that about you, but I want you to know for sure. And then Paul says there's two, uh, excuse me, John says there's two key characteristics about people that love God. One, obedience to God. Two, love for others. And when we are prideful, it is very difficult to be obedient to God and to love others because we will spend our lives doing what we want because we're the most important and loving ourselves Because we are the most important. And so John says, look, don't love the world. Don't be like this. Because if you do, then you can't love God right. The more prideful you become, the less you will love God. The more we love God, the less prideful we will become. And then in the next verse, he says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's just a simple way of saying godly things are permanent and earthly things are temporal. They're going to go away. And and I just want you to think about this. Like, think about the things that you take pride in. And then think about whether or not they will matter at your funeral. What John kind of says here is like, hey, here's the deal. Like the more prideful you are, the less you love God. And it's really stupid to be prideful because none of that will ultimately matter. It's just not going to matter anymore. It's very, I mean, it's, it's very pragmatic in nature, right? Your house, your car, your job, your good looks, your health. Like, it's not going to matter when you're dead. It just won't. 
There's this song, and this is used in so many sermons now, it feels like it, a cliche almost, but, but I think it's worth it here. Um, there's a song called Hurt. It was written by not the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails. But then, uh, and I just learned this because I was curious if he wrote it or not. Johnny Cash covered it very late in his life. He's a very old man when he covers it. And what I learned, I knew that already. But when I looked it up, what I learned is that Johnny Cash heard this song. I'm not sure why Johnny Cash was listening to Nine Inch Nails. That changes some paradigms in my head. Uh, but he was listening to the song. He listened to it over a hundred times when he, when he heard it. Because he was so struck with it. And in this song, in the course, and you can just see it connect to his life in so many ways because he wasted so much of it in his own mind, chasing the dreams of pride because of the lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. He wasted so much of it. And in this song, in one of the key lines of the course, he says, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. And I can't help but believe that as Johnny Cash moved towards death and he knew that and he saw the incoming, he just thought like, my pride led me to live a life that really wasn't that important. I was famous, I was rich, I got the woman of my dreams, but I didn't live a life of importance. And the reality is that if you are prideful, you will not love God. And you'll live a life that doesn't matter. What stands in the way of you and loving God more and therefore having an incredible impact that will last past your funeral into eternity, what stands in between those two things is, is, is your pride. How important you're making yourself. How high you are raising your own status in your own mind. And therefore, how low you are making God in your heart. My family loves this statement. It's part of a greater poem, actually, a bigger poem. And I didn't know that until studying for this sermon either. But it's this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But you will spend your life doing nothing for Christ when you consider yourself the most important part of life because you won't love God in a way that matters. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And he says it within the context of money. And somebody important to me once said it in the context of whether or not they were going to live a, a life of, uh, didn't say it to me, said it to somebody else, but in, in the context of whether they are going to live a life for God or a life that was fun and fulfilling and sinful. But I really think that the two masters that we must choose between ultimately comes down to the master of self or the master of God. Are we going to make ourselves the most important or are we going to make God the most important? And whenever I read this two masters thing, and I've said this in the past, and I don't know why because this isn't biblical or uh, maybe this came from somebody, but, but I always think of two horses. And I think that most Christians are trying to ride two horses. They're trying to ride their God horse and their self horse. And they think, I could do this really well. And as the book of Proverbs says, pride comes before a fall. And there's only one good choice here. It's to say, I'm going to ride 
the horse that is loving and living for God, making him the most important. And if you will, you can live an incredible life of impact. Here's the deal. Pastorally, I look out, I see you guys, and I know every one of you has sins that you want to overcome. I know that every one of you has things that you would like to do better. There are ways that you'd like to glorify God more. I know that some of you probably come here today and, and you're not living for Jesus at all. You may have thought you were a Christian at one point, but you're no longer a Christian. Maybe some of you have never called yourselves a Christian and you're like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna give my life to this Jesus thing. And I want you to know that while you can come up with a whole bunch of excuses, I'm addicted or I, uh, I think science is the better way to go or uh, I just am really struggling too hard with this. It all boils down to one question. Are you making yourself important or are you making God important? Because I think our sins would fall away. I think our lack of desire to know and love Jesus would fall away. I see it in so many people. It's like, I mean, it's like our whole culture, the world is built to say, hey, you don't need a savior because you're pretty good in and of yourself. You're okay without God in your life. And so some people go, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll make my truth the real truth. I'll do whatever I want. I'll, I'll think the things that I want. I don't have any need for God to tell me what to do or how to live or, or that I need a savior that died on a cross for me for sure. I don't need any of that because I'm me. And then you Christians, it's the same attitude. It's like, well, I don't need to be obedient to God because I know what's gonna be better for me in the long run. And so this morning, just, just know that, that you can't serve two masters. You're gonna serve yourself or you're gonna serve God. And, and really, the key to loving God more is to lower yourself. And the key to lowering yourself is to love God more. And so when you leave here today, what, what I just need you to understand, the more we love God, the less prideful we will become. The more prideful we become, the less we will love God. And I want you to leave here with, with really two agendas this morning. One is to say like, Man, I need to, to train myself, to strive, to say I'm not that important. God is. And the other part of it, and we'll talk about this more in the next couple of weeks, but the other part of it is, is to leave here and go, okay, I'm not that important, and I need to do whatever it takes to grow in my love of God because these two things go together. They go together. If you want to lower pride, you must love God more, and if you want to love God more, you must lower pride. And so whatever you have to do to make that happen, leave here and make it happen because your, your impact, your salvation, your hope, your life depends upon it. The more we love God, the less prideful we will become. The more prideful we become, the less we will love God. Let me pray for you, Lord Jesus. I pray if there's anybody in front of me, anybody listening online, that pride is standing in the way of them giving their lives to you. Because, God, they've only given their life to themselves at this point. I pray that you would tear down that pride now and you would bring them into a relationship with you. I pray that they would make a choice to say God is more important. The creator, sustainer, savior of the universe is more important than me and I will give him my life. And I pray for those of us who are here that do love you and are living for you and I pray more and more, God, you would erode 
the pride within us and we would think less of ourselves and more about you and what you want and what your desires are, God. And, and on the flip side, God, I pray that you just increase our love for you, Lord, because you have, you've done everything for us. I know, God, and I can be prideful, I can be as prideful as anybody, but I know, God, you, I am I'm nothing. I'm just a wretched sinner that has no hope and no purpose. And so I pray, God, that we would lower ourselves and raise you up and love you more and more. I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.